The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. I love to read stories, epics. I, I enjoy, I remember as a kid sitting, especially on Saturdays and Sunday afternoons, most importantly on Sunday afternoons, my dad was a pastor and when he was done resting his eyes after lunch, uh, we'd turn on a movie, and we would watch all of the classic movies of World War II uh, and the great uh, storylines there of epics, of reading Narnia around the, the table as a kid, of reading Tolkien's uh, The Hobbit, and just all of the pictures of what happened through in The Lord of the Rings. And I remember sitting in, and in the midst of all that and going and seeing movies and, and finding uh, the pictures and the storylines of redemption uh, within them. It doesn't matter what movie it is, really it doesn't, that you can find in, in, uh, if it's not too graphic in its nature and too perverse in what it presents, but you can find within them these pictures of redemption, uh, these stories uh, of heroes coming in. There's a reason why we... There's a reason why we resonate uh, with the Disney stories of Snow White, uh, the stories of Sleeping Beauty. Uh, there, there's reasons why, because we recognize that desperate need of rescue, uh, that epic need of, of someone coming in, of an army coming uh, in and, and, and freeing us from bondage. I, I just have in my mind this picture, of, uh, especially as uh, Andrew's been teaching now this 360 seminar on the gospel found in Tolkien and in Lewis. I hope many of you guys are in there and it's renewed maybe a love for reading in those things. But this picture of Helm's Deep, where, where the people are under siege within Helm's Deep and, and they are losing the battle. The walls are being overrun. Uh, the armies of evil and of darkness just continue to somehow flood the valley. And it's dark. And they're losing. And almost all hope is gone. But they remember in their minds that there was a promise made to them that look on the third day and you'll see on the mountaintops that the riders of Rohan are going to be coming. And they're holding on and holding on. And that morning comes and they look up. And there's Gandalf the white and the armies of Rohan coming and flooding over and into the valley. And they decimate evil and save the people of Helm's Deep. And it resonates somewhere within you, doesn't it? Because you, you align yourself with the people in the castle. Because you feel so often in your life that your, your walls have been overrun. That, that life is too demanding, life is too overwhelming, uh, that parenting uh, is more than you ever signed up for. Sorry, Andrew and Tim. Uh, but uh, you, you realize how absolutely ill-equipped you are to lead these souls through life. That if you're married, you realize the difficulties of marriage, uh, of how hard it is to love somebody else more than you love yourself. The challenges of relationships uh, within uh, a, a Christian life of trying to remain pure, of trying to honor the Lord uh, in those relationships, of being forgiving and honest uh, in adult relationships with others when you're hurt, to be able to extend forgiveness when they don't deserve it per se, but yet you do. You find that life is just overwhelming. You get done with a week and you just get home and you just go, you're just exhausted. 
Your walls have been overrun. And you keep hoping against hope that there are going to be riders showing up at dawn. And that they're going to come. And they're going to help. I had the privilege a number of years ago to sit at the Rock Hill uh, Country Club with a wonderful old gentleman, Baysmore. Bays is now in his eternal rest with the king. Bays was, Bays was basically deaf and loud. And so at session meetings, uh, the pastor, Shelton, would say, uh, it's time to pray. And Bays would be sitting next to me and go, what did he say? <laughs> I was like, he said we're going to pray. Pray! Shh, Bays, shh. I'm saying to this 90-something-year-old man, and he wore the most god-awful, ugly jackets in the world. They were bright and plaid and mixed with plaid and striped pants, but Bays would come in every Sunday faithfully. And I remember sitting at the Rock Hill Country Club with Bays Moore, and I, we were talking about World War II, and he was in the infantry on the ground in Europe, in the theater there. And I said, oh, I love Band of Brothers. And I love watching those movies. I said, one of my favorite storylines is when the American armies march into a town and they find the first concentration camp. And they go and they find just the decimation of the lives of the Jewish people who were there and the death and the inhumanity that was experienced. And the leadership of the army marched to the nearby town who could see the smoke. They knew what was happening there, but they did nothing. And they went into the town and they marched the mayor and all the leaders of the town and all the people of the town into the camp. And they made them clean up the camp. They made them own the fact that they turned a blind eye uh, to this atrocity that was happening just down the street from them. And I said, man, I can't even imagine the thought processes of one of those prisoners of war as they saw the American and Allied armies coming in and opening up the gates and the Germans laying down their arms and all of a sudden there being hope. And Bayes goes, I was there. I saw that camp. I was with that group. And he said, Bill, and he said it really loudly. (laughs) He said the people were so thankful for their redemption to be freed that they celebrated with what little strength and energy they had with their decimated bodies. They were so thankful to the ones who came and overran their captors and let them free from their bondage. I love those stories. Scripture is that same story, folks. Scripture is that same story. It's the story of humanity. It's the story of how humanity in all of its beauty in the Garden of Eden. When sin entered into the world. It overran the walls. And Adam and Eve and all of human relationships ever since. Have been under the constant frontal assault of sin and death. That regularly our defenses are flanked by the forces of evil who come and they find the weak spots within our walls and they run over. Or they come and we, we try to protect our loved ones. We try to protect the things that are valuable to us, but somehow the enemy finds his way in and he attacks those things that are most precious in our families, our spouses, our children, uh, our parents. And we see this and we look around and all you have to do is just a cursory glance at the news And you see how this world has been absolutely overrun by evil. And you have to look really hard to find glimpses of hope 
within it. You can go to a college campus uh, that should be said is higher learning, and I am souring more and more day by day uh, on university education. And it's goodness really for the people who are there that we send away just like cattle. Go, go, and they come back busted up and bruised, and we wonder why. And I listen to the stories of what goes on and the decimation of life. I listen to, to young women who, who through a poor choice of passion or with a boy because they think that they've gotten the love of that young man and in another choice they can't raise that child and they either give it away for adoption or abort it to death and they carry with them the pain. And they look out and we wonder Are there any riders out there? Is there an army that's going to come and show up and and cut these chains and open up these gates and the smell and the stench of death uh, will be removed and the aroma of life will be presented in? And some of you, I've talked to you regularly, some of you are tired. You're tired in your marriages. You're tired in your families. You're tired in your livelihoods. You've made your fortunes and lost them and made them and lost them. And you're going, gosh, is this really the sum total of my life? And we wonder, where's the hope in the midst of it? Well, folks, I'm here to tell you. And if you're a guest, if you're one uh, who's not a believer, you're not a Christian and you're here today, I want you to hear this. There's hope for you. Because there is a true rider, and there is a true army, and there is a victor and a king who is seated on a throne, and he comes, and he comes to deliver all of those who are caught within the bondage of life and the bondage of death, the bondage of the law, the bondage of trying to work it out on our own, the bondage of just looking out, that there is one who's saying to this world, all of those stories, they resonate within you because there's one true story, and that's the true story of the gospel, which says to everyone, I'm here. I've come and I'm coming again. And I can free you from the bondage that you find yourself in, whatever that bondage is, be it uh, on the end of addiction or the bondage to goodness, whatever it is. I can free you from that. He comes in and he says, I can free you. I can even free you from the guilt and the shame of those decisions that you made so many years ago or yesterday or last night. I'm so powerful that I've overcome death and you don't even have to fear death itself. That if you're, if you're missing a loved one, you get to see him again. Because they're alive with me. Because I'm alive and I'm coming back again. You see, there is a message of hope that this world in which we live, even in this beautiful little area that we call Hilton Head and Bluffton in the Low Country, There is so much loss right here, and it needs to hear from a church like ours, and it needs to hear from people like you who know this message. It needs for us to go and to share this message with the world around us, and then not to stop right here. That There's plenty to do right around here, but we can't stop right here, but we have to see that God can take and multiply this little bitty group of people, these few hundred folks that we have here with our little bitty budget and our little wealth, and he can take that, and he can multiply it, and he can take it out, and we can affect our country, and the world around us.
because we believe in this message and we go and share the message. That's what we're talking about today in the few minutes that we have together. That was probably my lengthiest introduction ever uh, to a sermon. Which means, by the way, hold on, we're getting through these points fast. But here's the first thing you need to know. We live in a lost world. We live in a lost world. But we have a message of hope. And that we're the messengers of that hope. We live in a lost world. We have a message of hope. And we're the messengers of, of that. So if you would, turn with me to your, in your Bibles to a couple of passages. Isaiah 52, I'm going to read these. And then in Romans chapter 10. And we're going to see this message of hope and the context in which it's found. And then see how it is that we're supposed to go out uh, with this message and share it with the world around us. Let's pray first for God's blessing on this time. God, thank you for your word that you preserved it for all of these years. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak through it to us, convict us and convince us, woo our hearts today, and then send us from this place with your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Isaiah 52, written in the context of a people whose walls were truly overrun. This is Helm's Deep, if you are familiar with that story. This is a place where there was no hope anymore. That the Babylonians had, had taken all the power and they had done everything. And here comes this incredible message in the middle of it. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. In the midst of death, in the midst of destruction, put on your beautiful garments. O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean, the marauders and the invaders. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there and Assyria oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord. And continually all the day, my name is despised. Sounds a little bit like today. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness and publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together in singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. Isn't that awesome? And then Paul picked up on that theme of salvation coming in the name of the Lord in Romans chapter 10. Read with me. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is to be saved. 
For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend from the dead? Who will descend into the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead? For what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with one heart, for with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach? Unless they are sent. As it is written. How beautiful are the feet. Of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. And he goes on. For the rejection of that. But how beautiful are the feet. Of they that bring. Good news. Mm. The first thing that we have to really understand. And consider is the lostness. Of our world. I painted a pretty bleak picture. And it is rather bleak. And it's interesting in the two scriptures that we chose today, from Isaiah to to Romans, it's two different kinds of lostness, but lostness nonetheless. There is a lostness. So as you consider the lostness of the world around you, you have to consider really two kinds of lostness. One is a lostness where the walls are totally overrun, where lives are absolutely ravaged by the power of sin in their lives, where there is no law where people are making the law on their own, where they are determining what is right and wrong on their own, that they get to say that I can live whatever way I want to live, uh, that I can do whatever I want to do, and there is absolutely no consequence for me, that their consciences are so seared uh, that they can get away with things uh, that are abominable, and yet they can sleep well at night. There is a lostness within the world, and you see it daily on the front page of the paper. You see it regularly with folks who are around. Even some of you here this morning wrestle with this in your life. That sense of throwing God off and wanting to have absolutely nothing to do with him and to live your life however you want to live your life, and your walls are overrun. You're caught within that addiction. You're caught uh, within that passion. Uh, You find yourself overwhelmed and and you look out and there is no real hope for you. You're lost. I talk to so many people who feel that way. But there is an absolute sense of hopelessness and that's what Jerusalem was feeling. Their walls were torn down. Uh, There were marauders about. There were people who were pillaging them. They were under the dominion of a sovereign, Nebuchadnezzar. They were under the dominion of kings who hated them and whose idea and passion was to destroy them and to bring them low. And they knew it and they recognized it. 
There's a lostness in the world, and you can identify it. These are the poster children of lostness. These are the ones that Christians like to point out. Uh, these are the ones that churches love to rally against. Uh, these are the ones where we pick it uh, and we go, there have to be laws against that, and there have to be these things against that. Well, these are the easy ones to look out and to go, we are in this lost world. Well, folks, that's the easy side of it, that the world is lost in the midst of it. I, I, I've shared before, my eyes are continually reopened and open to things that I wish I didn't know, quite honestly, being the dad of teenage boys, especially boys on college campuses, of them sharing with me some of the things that go on, not even in the privacy of homes and rooms anymore, but at the tailgates around these houses of worship on Saturday afternoons, that as men and women of all ages just do incredible things, my son One of them went to a party at another college and shared with me some of the things, not even to be spoken of publicly, that were done right in the middle of a party between a boy and a girl. It's just overrun. The walls are overrun in these lives. And they see it and they learn it well from us as parents, some, and in our culture which highlights it and celebrates it. And so walls are overrun. And we see that lostness. And that's easy for the church to see. Isn't it? Paul talks about a different lostness. Paul talks about a religious and righteous lostness. Where he's talking to church folk. He's talking to us. He's talking to a group of people who think they are so naive and arrogant. That they think that by their good works they're going to ascend into heaven itself. They think by their righteousness, by being on the right side, by being in the right political party, by giving enough money to the church, by being a good person, by not drinking, by not smoking, by not sleeping around, by being faithful, by not being addicted to pornography, by not being this and not being that, by doing these things, by reaching out and doing and doing and doing and doing, somehow we're going to get ourselves into heaven because we're good old-fashioned southern Presbyterian church folk. And God's just lucky to have us. And I hear it this way when I talk to people who are coming into membership within the church. And it usually starts something like this. Well, I've tried to be a good Christian my whole life. I was born in the church. I've been a Christian my whole life. Oh. You see, I started going to uh, Sunday school when I was a little kid. And my parents had me at church every time the doors were open. I had royal ambassadors on Wednesday nights. Uh, and then I went to communicants class when I was 12. Uh, and I won the sword drill every time it was there. And I was the president of my youth group. Uh, and I did that. And then I went to a Christian college. Or if I didn't go to Christian college, I went to a college. But I was a part of FCA or I was part of RUF. Uh, and I did that. And I went on a mission trip. Uh, and I did that. And now I'm in the church. And I'm a faithful member of this church. And I tithe regularly off of gross, not net pastor just want you to know that and uh and I give to missions and and I'm willing to give to this impacting thing and I'm willing to do these things and I'm going to a small group and and I'm doing all of this stuff and I and I like people of all races I'm very nice I'm not a prejudiced person uh and I think that uh, there should be equality within the workplace for all of these things uh and I vote regularly I'm a good citizen of our town uh, and I do all of these things I'm a good person Paul says, you're so lost. Your lostness is found in your righteousness. Because you think through your morality and through your legal standing 
of obeying. He says, be careful, you folks in that camp. If it's by the law that you judge yourself, then it is by the law that you will be judged. And it's 100%. So you're in deep trouble. You're lost. And you don't even know that you're lost. It's the story of Luke 15. One half over here is the younger brother. We know they're lost. They're out hanging out with pigs and getting drunk and going out with prostitutes and doing all that. You can see their lostness and all of us go, yeah, they're lost. Look at them. Isn't it nice that they come running back? Well, you know who's more lost in that story? It was the older brother. Because he said to the father, I've obeyed you every single time, yet I still hate you. The legalist, the moralist, is almost more lost, if you would, than the younger brother. Because you see, while the younger brother has to repent of all of his stuff, of rebelling against God, the older brother has to repent of his righteousness. He has to repent of saying to the Lord, God, on that day when the trumpet sounds, I rehearse everything I've done for you instead of listening to you rehearse everything you've done for me. When the trumpet sounds, I'm still tooting my own horn, as Max Licato said, instead of allowing your trumpet to sound. The world is lost. The world around us is lost. Even within this church, there's lostness within this church. And we have to be aware of that. We have to own it, acknowledge it. And then we have to ask the question, does it matter to you at all? Does it matter to you at all of the brokenness of the world around us? Somebody asked me yesterday about parenting for me and Lise. He said, how is it that you walk through some of the things that, that inevitably happen within the lives of your, your sons? And I said, Lisa and I aren't perfect parents. We're far from it. But one of the things that we've recognized is this, that the problems and the things that our sons are facing, it breaks our heart for them. It's not about us. It's not about my ego. It's not about my reputation. It's not about me. But my heart breaks for them. And I try to engage their hearts in that way so imperfectly, but we try. And that's the way it should be for the world around us. That when we see the brokenness and the lostness of the world, or we see those who are in captivity, uh, who are overrun, and those who are powerless against the enemy, those who are trapped even in their legalism, even in their morality, that our hearts are break and we care. So if you care, if you care, then the next thing you have to understand is this. That seeing this lostness leads us to a desire to see people saved. Seeing their lostness, acknowledging their lostness, and first acknowledging our own, that we were once lost, but now we're found. We were dead, but now we are alive in Christ. We were in bondage, but now we are set free. And how is it that I, who on no, nothing of my own, but only by God's sovereign mercy in my life, who, by the way, I don't know why I wasn't born uh, in the 500s in Manchuria, never to hear of the gospel and to be condemned to hell. But I was born in 1968 to believing parents, and I was raised within the context of the gospel, and I heard it day to day. I, don't, I had nothing to do with that. But God, in his rich mercy, put me there to hear this beautiful message and to respond by his spirit turning my heart around on I-77 in November of 1990. I didn't do that. And therefore, because I see the lostness of the world around me, it leads me to a desire for them to be saved. Paul said in the beginning of Romans 10, he said this, Brothers, 
My heart's desire, the passion of my heart and my prayer to God is that they'll be saved. Is your heart so broken for the ones around you? Instead of standing in condemnation over them, but pointing out all that they're doing wrong, of all the ways that they're ruining our wonderful uh, culture, of all the ways they're doing this, is your heart broken? And is your desire that they would come to faith? And your prayer before God Almighty is them by name. God, would you save this person? Is there a person in your life? Is there a neighbor in your life? Is there somebody, the world around you, that your passion is when you see their lostness? That you want to pray to the God of the universe that he would ride into their life and he would conquer death and he would conquer the dominion of sin in their life. And you pray to him that he would even, in his great humility, use you somehow to go and to be an instrument of his salvation to the lost and dying world. That's what Paul said. If you see the lostness of the world around you, it should lead you to a desire to see people saved. And the third thing is that then when you see and have a desire for people to be saved, that you have a message to go and to give the world. You actually have something to give to this lost world. You may not know that, but you do. You have a message to give them. It's not like this. Lisa was backing out of our driveway yesterday, and our van is making a new noise. And it's kind of an odd noise. I spent a lot of money to have another noise fixed, and after we had that noise fixed, this noise showed up. And she rolled down the window, and she said, Do you hear that? And I was like, Yeah, I hear that. She goes, What, do you, what is that? And I was like, Mm-mm. I'm like the guy who, you know when you're driving down the road and there's somebody on the side of the road and they got the hood up on their car and there's people staring at it? I normally don't stop, and here's why I don't stop. Because you know what I would add to that? Looks like an engine. (laughs) That green stuff's supposed to be coming out of there? Wow. That's bad. (laughs) Have a good day. (laughs) I can't help. I don't know anything about engines. That's how most of us in the church feel about the lostness of the world around us. We see their lostness and we feel utterly emasculated. We feel utterly powerless to go out and to help them. You have a message to give this lost world. And it's not just to tell them that they're lost. You know what you need to tell a lost person? Isn't that they're lost? What you need to tell a lost person is about Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. He goes, let me tell you about one who is the end of the law. Let me tell you about one who rose into heaven itself because he had gone down into death itself. Let me tell you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your message to the world. That's our message to the world. That when we see the lostness of our neighbors, when we see the lostness of our culture and our society, when we see the brokenness within our college campuses, when we see the brokenness within uh, the cycles of poverty, when we see the breakdowns of races within our country, when we look around the world and we see uh, that Christianity uh, is, is in need of a flourishing, we have a message. And the message is Jesus Christ. You have that message to give. Do you realize that? I guess the other question is, but do you know it well enough to give it? I was talking with someone at the first service. He said, Bill, I think a lot of people know that there's a message to give. We just don't know the message well enough to give it. Folks, this is sort of basic. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. That you and God, there's a separation between you. And only Jesus Christ 
can span that. By his righteousness and his completed work on the cross. And if you put your faith in him, then you'll be saved. Doesn't mean your marriage is going to be saved. Doesn't mean you're not going to go bankrupt. It doesn't mean that you're going to get out of your addiction tomorrow. It doesn't mean that all this is going to be fixed. But it does mean that you will be made right with God. And that he will come and he'll rescue you. And give you a hope that transcends this world. And what we need to do, Andrew, uh, where are you? Andrew, we got to make sure that we're training our folks well in the message of the gospel. So that you can realize that you have a message to give to the world. And then the final thing is this. And that message, oh, that message, there's so much to say about it, but I can't. But that message is so simple. It's freedom. It's freedom. But it's also the end of the law. You don't have to try to earn your way into heaven. Christ did it for you. And it's okay that you mess up. You know, someone once said that the best way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. Be a really good moralist. A good moral person doesn't see a need for Jesus. But present Christ to the world. And then the final thing is this. We have this message of hope for the world. That we're not just standing on the sidelines helplessly by. But we have this message. And then we're to go into the world with this message, leading people to believe and to confess. The message is really simple. Do you want to come to faith? If you're here today and you want to come to faith in Jesus Christ, here's the message. Believe in your heart and confess with your lips. And Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I promise to confess you before my Father who's in heaven. Stand with me and I promise to stand with you. And it says now that we go, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Can you imagine in Jerusalem with its walls torn down? Just another day of lostness. But then a couple of heralds came riding up to the walls. And they said to the watchmen on the towers, they said the king and his army are on the other side of that mountain and he's on his way. Freedom is at hand. Dress in your best garments There's going to be a celebration today. And it says the watchmen were filled with joy and they sang songs. Folks, you're not the king behind the hill. You're not the one who's coming to win the victory. You're the herald of the victorious king. And you get the privilege, I get the privilege of going to broken, desolated lives, to lives that are caught in bondage, and go, there's a king who's here. Dress yourself. All of your shame from your past he took on the cross. You don't have to ask forgiveness one more time for that sin. He's freed you from it. And you have the hope of life itself. We get to be that herald. How beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news. You know the beauty of what we do here is I realize something and churches have realized something and it's this. We can't do it ourselves. I don't know, I, I know this much. How many of you live near people? Some of you? Good. You're there for a reason. God, in His infinite wisdom, in His infinite mercy, placed you where you are at your street address, in your apartment, in your particular school, in your particular home. He placed you there to be a beacon of light to the world around you. You don't have to go looking for it. It's right there. Do you love 
your neighbors enough to see their brokenness, to engage their hearts and be beautiful feet that bring good news to them. But how many of you guys live in the Hilton Bluffton area? Okay, that means you're not at the College of Charleston. That means you're not at SCAD. That means you're not at USC. Uh, That means you're not at Clemson. It means you're not at the University of Vermont and you're not at Harvard University. But there's lost people on those campuses. And so what we've decided to do as a church is that we are partnering with young men and women who are ministering in God's name, who are presenting the gospel on those campuses. And so we support them, most of them $400 a month, so that they can go and present the gospel faithfully on there. Most of you aren't on the high school uh, campuses around here uh, but, but Thomas Joyner is with Young Life, and we support Thomas and Young Life so that Young Life can be on the college campuses. I'm not an athlete, but we support Fellowship of Christian Athletes so that they can minister to uh, the men and women who are coaches, and they can help reach down into the, into the high school campuses and the elementary campuses for Christ. I can't be in Haiti all the time, but we, we support Jeff and Becky Peters and Hope Medical Clinic down there. I'd love to be in Scotland and England, but I can't. So we, so we support uh, Brian and Carsey Parr as they minister to broken people in Scotland. And Rob Ilderton and Jenny, children of our church, as they go into England and London to minister to Muslims there. And John File, son of our church, who's now over in Japan. We can't be there, but we can send him to be there. And other folks who are all over the place. I see uh, Jim and Kathy Hill here this morning. And they're heading out on Sunday to go to Swaziland, right? To minister in God's name there. And George Towns, who travels around the world, to partner there. And so what we do is we partner with people who are able to go. And we support them. And so what we're asking you to do today, you received a letter in the mail. And there's a uh, thing there. Uh, on your um, seat, and it looks something, well, I thought I had it around here, looks an awful lot like this, and we just ask you to commit, I know we're running over, Um, lunch will be there, there's no good football games on today, Um, it's just, it says here, I want to make it, I commit to make an impact. It says, I, we commit to, and we're giving you four options. It says, one, to pray for missionaries. I'll tell you this, I've been around a lot of missionaries and mission agencies around the world, and every time I talk to them, I ask them, what's the most important thing that you can get? And they say, prayer. They say, prayer. I was talking to Dale Phillips, who just got back from Ghana. And you remember last week, we said we were going to pray at 10 o'clock last Sunday morning for Dale. Then he sent me another email, and he said, pray at Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. And so we stopped our staff meeting. We prayed at 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning. And, and Dale's comment was, God did incredible things through the prayers of the saints around the world to, to save, basically, a team desperate in Ghana to bring the gospel. They want your prayers, so I'm asking you to commit to pray for missionaries and ministries within our church, and we'll send you the information. If you need one of these cards, you can raise your hand, and the uh, ushers are around, they can give you one. The other is to consider going on a short-term mission trip. How many of you have gone on a short-term mission trip through our church or another church? Put them up high so I can see. Ah, That's a decent number. We'd love to see more people involved in going cross-culturally, even around our own country or even in our backyard, to go do that. And we'd like you to sign up, and we'll follow up with you and tell you more information about that. And then, as you know, it's not all about money, but it is partially about money. It costs money uh, to do these things. 
Not one dime of money that's given to, to the missions here stays at our church. It goes out. And so we've got about a, a $20,000 gap this year. And we'd like to see that raised uh, to be able to provide $120,000 total uh, in mission work. And we'd love to see that expanded so we can do more things. So that's what we're asking you to commit to. So we're going to uh, now, I'm going to pray. And then the team's going to come up. And uh, there's going to be a song Uh, that we're playing just for you to consider. And uh, I want to thank you in advance for your faithfulness to the call of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you that our walls were overrun and you knew we were lost and helpless and you came and rescued us. You sent your son. You sent Christ. And he won the victory for us. Father, there are some here today who need to hear the good news of the victory of Christ and they need to believe in their hearts and they need to confess with their mouth. So I pray that they would do that today. Would you move in their hearts? And then, Father, thank you for this church, its impact over all the years, and its current impact, both here and around the world. Would you increase that, that we would be able to see and hear of how the good news of the gospel goes out. Father, we praise you and we thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The ushers are going to come around and take these up if you'd fill them out and drop them in the baskets as they come now.